Welcome to Wealth Made Simple with Shaz, where you'll learn how to master your money through business, property, and tax saving strategies. Your host has collectively helped his clients make tens of millions of pounds in additional profits through these strategic approaches to business. Introducing Shaz Nawaz, an award-winning chartered accountant, property tax expert, entrepreneur, and property investor. So, Kieran, what's been happening in the property world since last week? Uh, there's been a, in terms of what we've been doing or... Well, what we've been doing, that's what people want to hear, to start off with. Uh, what we've been doing is we've been looking at different property strategies that um, we can potentially implement to grow a large property, larger property portfolio and um, how the different strategies work and how they might work with each other in synchronization or separately on their own, depending on what we're doing. So you mean there's more than one way to buy property because the average person on the street, let's just say, probably assumes, and the conversation I've had with people, I'm sure you have had too, that they see a property... They buy it either to live in for themselves as their home or they buy a second or additional property, which is called a single buy to let usually. And people live in there. Some who are more sophisticated might have come across HMO, a house in multiple occupation, whether you've got more than one person in one room that's rented out. But Absolutely. That's about it in properties, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Um, a lot of people do, do believe that there's... Ultimately, like you say, two. Unless you're talking but, about commercial property, then you've yeah, got commercial property. Yeah, purely but, you're talking but about residential. For, for a residential, most people are on the understanding that there's essentially two, two, two things you can do. You can either buy to own or buy to let. And that, that's about where research stops in general. Um, but I've been looking at this week 16 different strategies that you could potentially implement. So plenty to go at. And so, so we probably yeah. won't get through all. Uh, We're definitely uh, not going to get through and now all that we, sixteen. At the start, we had a slight technical glitch. Uh, we're behind by a few minutes, so we do apologise for that. Uh, but we'll obviously try and get through all the content we have planned for today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I mean, overall, property is one of the world's most popular investment categories. What do you think that is? Um, I think it's down to the stability and the um, reliable returns that you can get on your investment when investing in property. Um, and by and large, UK, big markets like the UK, like America, like Canada, have large um, value in terms of their property markets, and their property markets have got a historic proof of growth and proof of return on investment. So a that they're very strong. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Market trends and uh, uh, yeah. history and, and people can kind of track their returns. And yeah. I know it's a well-trodden, well-known marketplace. Marketplace, that's the word I was looking for. I knew there was a reason you were here with me. That's to read your mind every time you forget a word. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, and at, at, its, at its very simplest and very basic level, you could you could distill every strategy down into it falls into the umbrella category of buy to rent, uh, buy to let or buy to own. But when you actually delve a little bit deeper beneath the surface, uh, you do get into much m a vast array of of different strategies. Like like I say, I've got I've I've looked at sixteen this week, and that's sixteen that I'm aware of. There are many more others that I'm not aware of, and I I recognise that, and I recognise that you don't know what you don't know. 
Well, 60 is so, a good number to start with for it, most of our listeners absolutely. and viewers tonight. Uh, obviously, we won't get through all 16 because we want to make sure we do justice to the obviously the, the different strategies and at the same time share enough information and detail with people. So let's start with a traditional buy-to-let. Yes, if someone's uh, looking to buy a buy-to-let property, let's say they own their own home, for example, uh, and they want to buy a second or additional property, whether that's to move into or whether that's going to be a buy-to-let because sometimes people move into a bigger home usually. Or they, and then they, most upgrade, but some may downgrade, by the way, depending on the circumstances. Uh, or, or somebody's happy in their current uh, home with their family and looking to buy a single-let property. Where do they start? How does it work? What are the things that they need to look out for? What are the pros and cons that you know? So single-let by... Uh, single-let... Properties. Properties. Um, they're generally where a lot of people start, like you say, or if you are upgrading your house, but you've got enough of a financial backing to keep the house that you're currently in and then rent it out on a long-term basis. Um, it's one of the least risky strategies out there as an overall thing. It's, you it's mean, in it's terms of... or just in terms of property? In terms of, in terms of property. Okay. Yeah. Um, the, that's because the demand levels for for rental properties are usually quite high in most areas within the UK um, because it's been getting increasingly harder over the years to get on the property market. So a lot of people are left renting, you know, whether that's through choice or whether that's through 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 necessity. But without getting into the politics of it, is what you're saying is house prices have been increasing yep. from an investor's point of view. Uh, and salaries haven't been increasing in line with that. So when somebody's looking to buy a, a, a home or a buy-to-let property, for example, where they need to put down, let's say, a 25, at least a 25% deposit. At least a 25% deposit. that. Yeah. Let's forget their own home because that's a different ball game. And we're here to talk about property investment as opposed to buying your own home. Although I yeah. think we should maybe just do a show on just buying your own home for people who want to get on the property ladder in terms of some of the things they could do that we've seen people do, yeah. which are yeah. creative and inventive and different. But for today, and let's we'll stick co- to We'll cover that another, so, another time. So, people, so somebody needs to save a 25% deposit to for, buy a buy-to-let at to, least. To buy, buy a buy-to-let. SDLT, fiscal SDLT, legal costs, compliance, due diligence, all that on top. Yeah, on top of that. And little things that people don't realise uh, at the outset for property investment is things like, like you say, SDLT, we'll take that as a... Stamp duty land tax, yeah. Prime example is when you buy your own home, you pay SDLT. People are aware of that. People know know about it, and they'll let the solicitors and the, the experts work out how much they're going to pay for it and all the rest of that. But with uh, investment property, um, it's, it's good to be aware that there's an additional 3%... Um, on the whole lot. On the whole lot. Yeah, which, which a lot of people don't realise. So when they're, when they're looking at calculating these things and looking at whether or not it's affordable or whether or not they want to get into it, it's something to be aware of that that's, that's an additional cost that you may not have realised. And you've got to pay up front when you complete it pretty much. Yep. I mean, you've got a few days to pay it, but it's not but many they, days. Yeah, the SCLT will always get paid. Um, but yeah, in, I mean, in terms to so you've got to have that cash flow as well on top of everything on, else. On top of everything else, yeah. And it's it, it like I say, it's, it's something good to be aware of that a lot of people. So someone who hasn't bought property, for example, wants to buy or, or hasn't ever bought a buy let property. Yep. Uh, and wants to buy a property, they see one on on the market, whether it's through an agent, auction, deal sourcer, and we'll cover all those things in due course. Uh, and what are the next steps for them? So. Once you've put your offer in, it's been accepted and all the rest of that. 
Um, it, it depends on whether you're buying for cash or whether you're going through a mortgage process. Like say, if you're going through a mortgage process, a minimum of 25% for um, buy to let um, generally. And then it depends on what sort of mortgage product. I'm not going to go into different mortgage products because yeah, I'm yeah. not. That's, it's, not our, that, it's not our bag, yeah. No, that's that's not my professionalism. Um, so you've got to decide on which, which one best suits you best suits your circumstances and there are many pr good professionals out there that will help you identify that those products um then work out how much your monthly payment is going to be then it's uh, work backwards from that much how much do i need to charge for the rent how much do i need to 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 cover and it's not just about covering the rent something that you know as a back of a napkin sort of calculation people go oh well the rent's going to be a thousand for pounds. example a thousand pound you know my costs are going to be you know in in repayments 500 pounds so i'm going to make 500 pound well no you're not um that's that's not where you start because you've got other fees and other other insurances and things like that to repairs, take into account repairs maintenance if you're a, yeah. a letting agent will come on to second you've got yeah. to pay them yeah. And then property might be empty, so you've got a void period. Void, so void got period, so you've got to cover that as well. And then you've got to cover... Yeah. And if someone can't pay your rent for two or three months for a particular situation, yeah. you've got other cash flow to pay because your mortgage lender's not going to say, oh, well, you take a three-month uh, yeah. repayment holiday because your tenant's not paid you. Well, no, it's a business. So you've it's a business. Sure you've, you've got to make that. sure you've got yeah. cash flow for it. And so so suddenly you're, that £500 that you're, you thought you were making is now £50. Is that a sound investment? Well, for me personally, I would say no. I don't want to be making just £50 a month off of a property that's cost me probably £200,000. That, 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 that to me is not a good return on investment. Um, but you know, if you're just getting started, you're, at least you're making a profit. Um, but And let's cover this right now without my other hat of local politician, by the way. Yep, yep. Because uh, it's that... Let's set that aside. There are people out there who believe that property investment's wrong, by the way, and everybody should have a right to buy a house and there should be no property investors. And there's some who possibly believe that property investors are not so nice people who make loads of money driving around in red Ferraris or yellow Lamborghinis and that type of stuff, and they're all very, very rich and wealthy. What are your comments towards that? Um, I would say, I, I would disagree. I, I agree that everyone should be able to buy their own home, um, but I also think that at, as much of a nice idea as that is, to a certain degree, and this, this might upset a few people, but you've got to live in the real world. You've got to live in the world in which we have. And the world we have is that in the last, since the, I think, 1800s, on average, house prices have doubled every seven to 10 years. Now, I don't know about you, but my wages haven't doubled, doubled every seven to ten years. I'll speak to your boss, shall I? Yeah, yeah, you, you, you yeah, do that. Have yeah. a word with him. I'll tell, I'll tell her. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but that, and that, and that's, that's, if that's been true since, you know, for the last, you know, however long. Yeah, there's a cycle, isn't there? And, yeah. Know, that cycle, yeah. but it's ten years over, there's 15 or 20 years, but yeah. Yeah, but realistically. Yeah, trend. You know, you go back to the 1960s, 1970s, house prices were... On average, ten times someone's salary, maybe fifteen times someone's salary. Nowadays, the the house prices are 
ex- there's a much bigger gap, much yeah. bigger gap between the two, and the and the value of houses keeps going up. But so, so you think property investors are pretty nice, decent people, not driving around in red fries or yellow Lamborghinis, and not money grabbing so and sos. I think there are all types of people in all businesses, and to to blanket brush people is is it's never 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 a, an appropriate way to deal with what you believe them to be like. So if someone has hang-ups, thinking if I become a, a property investor, people are going to, you know, uh, paint or generalise and um, label me in that way. They should have nothing to worry about because uh, how people perceive them to be and how they really are, two different things. Absolutely. But also, I think there are a lot of accidental landlords out there. Oh, many, yeah, you're right. And these are people who have either inherited a property or it's been passed down or they've moved out of theirs and decided mm-hmm. to suddenly keep it. And and the, the, these people, they own maybe one or two properties, maybe a stretch three, and they're not making millions of pounds a month out of, you know, making people poorer whilst they get richer. That That's not what they're doing. They just happen to be in possession of a second property, so... They did what most people would do and decided that, well, it's already paid for. I may as well make money from it. So what you're saying is it's a business, first of all. So people yeah, absolutely. see it as a business. And then it's a, it's a necessary business uh, because lots of people can't afford to buy a house. Uh, so they are supplying something with, for which there is demand. And they shouldn't have a hang yeah. up about that as long as obviously they're being reasonable, just looking after their tenants, making sure they've got well, all the equipment. Making sure the repairs are done and making sure everything. The insurance is done, everything. Everything. Yeah. Place, everything's been serviced, the EPCs, all that's been done. The boiler well, has a proper certification. So, so everything's legal and compliant. Oh, absolutely. But Which I, was, most, I say most, every I've met so far <laughs> over the last 23 years wants to do that, by the way. Well, I mean, the, the, the key word there is legal. And. and you know, to unless you want to fall foul of the law, which a bad idea. is a bad idea, whatever way you cut it, then then you've got a duty of care to your tenants overall from from, from a certain point of view. And if every landlord out there sold their properties tomorrow, for example, how many people would become homeless overnight? And the funny thing about that is there are some people that will go, Yep, every landlord should should sell, sell, sell up so that everyone can buy. The landlords don't set the price of the property. The market does. Yeah. And realistically, if every landlord sold the properties, there would be, for a start, because of the amount of sales going through, a massive spike, because that's the way economics works, a massive spike in the prices. So prices would be driven up by those sales, making it even harder for people who already can't afford to buy their own home to buy their own home. And then what? Then, then you've got homeless, more homeless people, less business businesses about. Less you've tax got being paid. Less tax being paid. Less, yeah. At no point in that scenario is it a good thing. But, I mean, yes, there are people out there making, you know, multiple millions of pounds out of property, and I applaud them. There, there is, as long as, like you say, they are good, just, honest, legal, looking after their tenants. Just like any other business. Just like any other business. You're not going to turn around and say, for example, you know, I think all shop owners should shut up, should, should shut up shop because they're making money on my purchases. 
Well, for food that I can't afford to buy because all of my bills have gone up. So deciding between heating and eating, okay, which yeah. which is obviously a difficult time for people right now. And Absolutely. as you know, we both sympathise with that and we try and support them as, as best, best we, we can. can. But you can't. You've got to look at the reasoning behind. Yeah. Okay. The the symptoms as opposed to okay the end user or the end service provider or the goods provider. Yeah, because you can't. You, like you say, if you if cause you, and effect, isn't it? Yeah. Causality, yeah. love that word. Um, but if you if you look at just just the the end product and have a singular view, and it go, it goes back to what we were talking about last week about mindset. If you've got a singular view on one thing and you're not open to change, you're not open to learning. One dimensional. It's very one dimensional, and you lead a you know go down a very single single minded track, which doesn't benefit anyone. But you you need to be open to the scope of what things are possible and i mean as we go through some of these yep. some of these different strategies you people will see that not all of them involve a direct link to a to a consumer for example yeah so they've bought the property they've gone to a, a lender because they didn't have their cash lender gives them say 75 percent they yep. buy the house then they're thinking okay how do i find a tenant now so what are yep. the options there uh they're it depends on how much legwork they want to do themselves. They're busy. They've got a job. They're working as a, as a full-time uh, professional. They're not IFA, so they've got their own practice, advising people on financial matters, uh, so they haven't got much time. Then I would say you probably want to go into a local agent, someone that's local to you, someone that knows the area, someone that knows the tenants, the sort of tenants that you're hoping to attract, mm -hmm. and have a conversation with them and perhaps pay them to do their job yep. and they will do their job and find you tenants. In some some scenarios, some will even pay you for voids if you give them um, license over it for a period of time. So guaranteed rent. Guaranteed rent. Which... It comes from, at a cost in the way, yeah. It, it does come at a cost. But it's a peace of mind and confidence and certainty. But it, that, that's like... Um, I personally have always gone for fixed bills if I can. And over the last year, that has paid, worked out well for me because obviously with the economic crisis that has happened, my bills are fixed. Whereas other people who have gone for variable because it was cheaper in the short run, didn't know everything was going to happen with... Swings and roundabouts, isn't it's, it? It, it is swings roundabouts. and roundabouts. I might pay slightly more. Or, you can't beat the system, tall, mate. That's what you, it is. At the end. Yeah, but overall, you, you can't I mean, beat the system. The system sits in a particular way once yep. you look at it, which we might talk about. One day it's been an interesting conversation, by the way. Okay. Ultimately, you Without have... Without going into the world of conspiracy theories, by the way. Yeah, add, but ultimately you've got to play within the system. You can't game the system and you can't win the system. Learn the rules and then learn to apply them in a better way than most of the people. Yeah, so, absolutely. So then they go to a letting agent yeah. and agree a figure for the rent and then they market it for them and they, they, they charge a fee. And then is it all... Fine and dandy, or is there anything else they need to be aware of or keep an eye on on a regular basis? At that point, you need to start looking at how much you're going to make in a year from this property, because tax rules still apply. Mm -hmm. As you are all too aware, you've still got to pay tax, and you've still got to cover any costs that um, come out from yep. from that. Um, um, so, looking at that, if you're depending on what your you know, take take your example. You know, you've got a busy IFA, high rate taxpayer, high rate taxpayer, say eighty grand a year. 
Uh, should yeah. they be buying the property in their own name or, or a limited company? Or is that something you wanted to cover? I was just about to get onto that. And, okay. uh, so, and later on, we'll cover what business structure mm-hmm. to have. Because as we've said already, when you're getting into the world of property investment, understand that it is, it is a business. It is a business like anything else. It, and so business rules apply. So take the emotion out of it. Take your personal... Because a lot of people, their heart rules their head. And when it comes to business, the head has to rule. The head has to be in charge because if you start making emotional, rash decisions based on how you feel at the time, you're prone. You're, you're going to make mistakes. So, back to traditional buy-to-let, Kieran. They've they've bought the property. It's on rent through an agent. They're covering their costs. A lot yep. of people out there think, well, I'm not making any profit every month or year. So that's fine because, like you said earlier in the first half of the show, the property is going to increase in value or double in value over the next 15, 20 years. So I'm going to double my money and that's where I should be. Is that the right way of thinking or do you think they should be thinking of something differently? Personally, for me, I think the the capital appreciation, which is what you're just talking about there, where the house price doubles over time, um, it's a nice bonus. But I don't think it's a reason to be in property or a reason to buy a property. I think that you need to look at um, cash flow. And I think cash flow is king. Cash flow will help you alleviate all other issues that you might have with the property um, above and uh, over and above all else. Um, I think that as, a business, as you run it as a business, uh, you, don't, you don't run a biz- any other business with the idea that over time the business might appreciate in value because bear in mind that as much as statistically house prices have doubled every seven to ten years you know maybe 15 at a push house prices also go down in value during economic hard times and there is a very real chance that at some point you may be in what's called negative equity and if you've bought a property with very poor cash flow, that then because of the poor cash flow, because of an economic downturn, all your tenants move out and you can't re-rent it, suddenly you've got to sell it. You've, you're selling with negative, negative equity. You're making a loss. But you bought that property based on capital appreciation. That, that's a bad place to be in for anyone, whether it's your own home or whether it's an investment property. But if you've got good cash flowing properties and, yeah, we go into... In, everything goes down, everything loses value, the house becomes negative, negative equity, but it's good cash flowing. You don't need to sell it because the cash flow covers it. And that cash flow covers it until the markets recover, everything goes up, and you can hold on to it. It's a bit like a bad haircut. If you can hold on to it for long enough, it will grow out. You are the master of that, aren't you? I am. You've got plenty of experience. Absolutely. And, and I, I, th- I think that, that that's that's something that people should be aware of is... You know, using using our earlier example of you know once you're making if you're making fifty pound a month it's fifty pound a month more than you were making before but that's not good cash flow it's not what the hustle is it it's, no there's Let's a lot be of about it yeah yeah so they've got to make sure and ultimately cash flow there how much is your time worth yeah and then you've got twenty five percent stuck in the property uh, so the return on investment you need to work out so obviously there's your rental yield yeah which you need to be looking at and then there's your return on investment. 
Okay, and return these, on these, capital employed, which are these kind of these are things we'll cover, which we're going to cover in due course. Uh, in we've due got course, plenty but, of stuff to cover. Yeah, over, <laughs> over the coming years. Yeah, oh, there, there is years worth of content. Yeah, yeah, plenty of years. Yeah, that's right. So that's buy to let. Now somebody becomes more sophisticated. We we'll stick with our same example. We end up we have an IFA. Yep, uh, and they are busy working in their practice. They buy a couple of buy to lets. This is okay, but the return isn't fantastic. What else can I do? So what's a, a genuine or general common next step from moving on from a single buy-to-let? So if you, if you started off with a single buy-to-let that is, say, a one- or two-bedroom property, and then you, know, you utilize a little more cash, a little more finance, potentially, and you end up with a four- or five-bedroom property, you can split that property down into what's called a HMO, Housing Multiple Occupancy. So rather than having one family live there with one, one rent coming in, you have you know, three, four, five individuals each occupying a room and sharing central facilities like the kitchen, main bathroom um, within the property. And the living room. Living, li- living room. And, then, and then each of them is paying an individual rent, whereas... Before you were getting one rent from one family, might be slightly higher, but if you then reduce the rent by you know a small amount, but multiply it by five, suddenly you can see how the cash flow on that goes up dramatically, very very quickly, and it scales very very quickly. HMOs are meant to be a headache, aren't they? If you read stuff or talk to people, uh, there lots of people, parking issues, antisocial behaviour. Net, some neighbourhoods don't like it. Some neighbourhoods have too many HMOs. It seems like a lot of headache and trouble, Kieran, doesn't it? Uh, it it can be. Again, it depends on how you approach um, your business. If you've got um, so the scenario you were just talking about, you know, antisocial behaviour, you know, too many. Well, that that's one example. What about if you have a HMO near a university, so you've got students. You've got many students coming in, and students is a separate one that we'll cover again later, but it's just as an overall here. So suddenly you've got, you, 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 you know, or professionals that uh, travel a lot. Or nurses or, or yeah, doctors who tend to. Tend to travel a lot around or, or need, you know, a period where they just don't want to be on their own. They don't want to rent by themselves, but and professionals generally don't have that same stigma, do they? Mm-hmm. So, so, so I think, be clear on your demographic and the type of person. Be clear on who you want to, to, to rent out to. Be clear on your, your customer. So if you wanted nurses or doctors, maybe get a good, decent property near a hospital, possibly. Possibly, yeah. Just as an example. Just, just, as, just an example. And or near the main train station. So people can commute commuters, yeah, in and out of a particular place, depending and, on where it is. And that's that's the other thing is knowing knowing your customer, knowing your customer base, knowing who you want to rent out to. Um, but also, yeah, every business has its ups and downs. Every business has its headaches, and you know rules that they need to follow. You know, are there issues with you know parking in certain areas? Yes, there are, but those are. Parking issues, whether or not you're single let, whether you own, whether you're HMO, that's just a generic issue for certain areas. doesn't matter whether it's a HMO or not. 
it's it's an issue. So you can't overcome all issues, but what you can do is you can look at the areas in which you're looking to invest. And so so when you're looking at the areas to invest, you look at you know you make that decision based on what you want. If you've got like you say you want to rent out to commuters, you're not so worried about parking per se because you're close to the train station, they're going to leave leave the house, go to the train station, get on a train, go to wherever it is they need to go to to earn their money, then come back. There's, Have a bit of food, watch a bit of TV, read a book and go to bed. Absolutely. And there, there, there's less, less, having poor parking in an area like that is less impactful. Whereas if you've got somewhere that's in a beautiful location, you know, with lots of greenery around, but it's kind of in the middle of nowhere... Well, parking's more of an issue there because people need to be able to drive to get to and from it. So before we get more into HMOs and cash flowing and uh, why it could work better from a return on investment point of view, uh, we have a question from Jordan Ola. So thank you, Jordan, for asking your question. On thank YouTube. you very much. And Jordan is asking, what is the ideal startup amount to get on the property ladder? Uh, on the property ladder in general or on the property investment ladder? Let's assume... Um, First of all, investment, because we're talking about investment, and then yep. we talk about uh, buying their own home, uh, for example. So it... it uh, classic answer, it depends. It, it depends on what property strategy you want to follow. It depends on how for now. big you want to grow um, and how fast you want to do it. Um, if you're going for single lets... Well, then what demographic are you aiming at? What areas are you looking at? Um, there's a terminology called goldmine area, mm-hmm. um, which which we will discuss on an, on another show, the exact details of how that works. You're but, such a tease, aren't you, Kieran? You're teasing us so much about forthcoming shows. I know, I know, I know. But You've done this before, haven't you? Once or twice. Okay. But, I mean, as a weekly show, we've got to... We've got to keep everybody engaged. Keep, keep everyone on their toes. Yeah. Um, so... In in a nutshell, though, bef- uh, without going too deep into it, goldmine area is an area you pick that you feel has a good return for you that works well for you and your demographic and your business. Um, so if we're gonna, you you find your goldmine area, and then so what demogra- what pe- what your clients are going to look like, what your tenants are going to look like, you know, what sort of people are they? Are you going to be renting out to you know students, professionals, yeah, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And from then, you you can then look at those areas, find the average value of a property within that area. So, say the average value of a property is two hundred thousand pound, for example, and so you will need twenty five percent of that as a as a first d- deposit if you're going to go down the mortgage route, um, which is one option, or you are going to need um, something else that we'll get onto later a partner someone to go in with to to fund it um so what jordan could do is let's say the average price of a house in peterborough and i assume jordan uh you're in peterborough forgive me if you're not i'm just we're gonna pick a place so we might as well pick, pick peterborough a place we're yep. here. so let's say the average price is two hundred thousand pounds yep. just for example I'm not for example it is. so if jordan's looking to buy that property he needs a 25 percent deposit so he needs fifty thousand pounds plus all the all the legal fees and costs etc et all et the cetera. rest of it yeah all what he could do is find a friend family member or an investor and say let's call pull, them, pull and, their money and together pay 25 
they pay 25000 and Jordan pays 25000 so 50-50 each. Yep. Or he could say, you put all the money in, I'll manage the property, you don't need an, an, an agent, and then we can do some interesting stuff, which I'm not going to go into right now. But No, because we've got that coming up later. About that, but let's do a flip or a conversion or something else, uh, which could work. So the point you're making to Jordan is you don't need all the money yourself. There are people who are there who are Absolutely. cash rich and time poor. Time poor. So if, if you're time Jordan, rich and time, cash poor. Yeah. You can do that. So that's one option. And the other option, of course, is if you're looking to buy a property for himself, uh, then he can put down a very low deposit of 5%, okay, yeah. uh, and use the government's first-time buyer. Uh, incentive. Incentive. And then basically uh, that would, that helps him get on the property ladder. But then he's got to make sure he can afford the repayments. Yeah. So he's got to have uh, a decent income coming in to do that. Uh, but I again, I'm, I'm going to assume uh, Jordan's talking about prop- property, property investment. investing and investment. Okay, that's what we're talking about. So, so Jordan, even if you haven't got all the cash, by the way, don't worry about it. We are going to share with you ways where you can raise the cash and get it onto the property ladder without using your own money, which generally Absolutely. speaking, most people know is no money down, which is my most favorite strategy, by the way, if anybody's interested. We'll cover that and another we're gonna, day. We're going to cover that another day. Because we, 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 we don't have time for that today. <laughs> I promise you that. that. Yeah. Because once Shaz gets started on, on, on that subject, well... We'll um, be here and, yeah, for the next 18 ep- episodes. We're talking about no money down. I mean, I'll be quiet for the next <laughs> six hours. You can just listen and observe. <laughs> exactly that. So HMOs, generally speaking, are, they require more effort. They, they do require more they effort. They require better management because you've got to be conscious of the neighbours and make sure that they're looking after the property and looking after the neighbours because some neighbours, rightly so, by the way, can get annoyed because they think one day Bob's in there, next day uh, Jeff, Deepak's Fred. in there, then Sandy's in there, then Cyrus in there, and then Simon's in there. Oh, I don't know my neighbours. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, and some people are terrified by that, and understandably. It, it is understandable, but I think if it's well-maintained, well-managed, and, you know, Compared to uh, traditional buy to let, single single buy to let, it's it is more work, it is more effort, more involvement on your half, on your behalf. But but the, it gets people in a property ladder who can't afford to pay say eight hundred pounds exactly for let's say a two bedroom flat or a thousand pounds for a house, two bedroom house, yeah. so they can just pay a hundred or one hundred twenty five pounds a room, get them somewhere to yeah. stay, doesn't it? Exactly that. So if if you take your example, you've got you you've you found yourself a five, six-bedroom property that you've divided into a HMO, you've got to follow all the compliance rules and laws, and there's a whole deep dive we could do on that. But that you make sure you're, you are compliant is the key message there. And do your own research. Make sure you've done your due diligence on what those rules are because they do change. They do get updated. Um, but once, you, once you've done all of that, you've got your, your property there, and rather than renting that out to, say, a large family for, hypothetically, let's call it you know, £1,500 a month, you could rent it out to five individuals for £500 a month each, and that gives you 2500 a month. So better cash flow. So it's a better, cash, better, better cash flowing, more return. Which works well. Exactly then that. People need to be mindful of the regulations. There's more compliance work. Absolutely. By risk assessments, etc., that yep. they, they've got to observe. And then obviously Article 4 is in a particular area, which means they can't have an HMO unless they've got, they go to the planning process and so they need to be aware of that. So don't go buying a property in a particular area where you're not sure an HMO can be started up because it's got Article 4 direction. So, again, yeah, so I mean, I mean so, so, something to be very, very clear on is that you can't just buy 
a house with multiple bedrooms and put multiple people in there. That's not a HMO. That's in breach of mm-hmm. a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to make sure that it is compliant. So, do, do, do the work. But like with most things, the harder you, the more work you put in, the more return you get. But if managed properly, conscious of the neighbours or everything else, okay, and try and keep people there as long as you can to, to go by looking after them, an HMO is, as you know, it's not my preferred strategy, and I'm, I'm, I don't do HMOs, as you know, Kieran, yep. at all for different reasons. But it's something that people make can make make it work really well. They they really and can. It's a good option. It it is, and some something else to be aware of um, is that whilst it is you know higher yields than your average single yet let single yet single let, um, it is more intensive management. There are more regulations, and it can be harder to find the right product to to finance it. Um, it's just something to be aware of that. You know, has come up in a couple of times in in the research. And funding works different because funding works cause slightly differently. The because right size of HMO, then they they base it on the rental income as opposed to just the motor. Yeah, they're uh, piling it more as a business, so that kind of works well as well, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And like I say, be aware that what you are running is a business. Yeah, absolutely. So then, so we've done HMOs for now, just to give people an, an insight. Do you want to share another property strategy which people will find interesting? I know you have purpose-built student accommodation there. So, so Let's skip that. Let's skip that. Because, okay. Because we'll, we'll link that with the University of Peterborough uh, and what's going on in Peterborough, by the way, as an opportunity for people. Is there yep. anything else that you, you can think of there that you want to bring on board and share with us, which might be quite interesting for people that they haven't come across before? Uh, so how about something else, Kieran? So... Um, another option is something called serviced accommodation. What's um, that? Serviced accommodation, it's a bit like a, um, oh, I say a bit like, it's a furnished holiday let. It's like a bed and breakfast if done right. So the kind of place you'd expect if you go to Cornwall or Dorset or Cumbria potentially, or Blackpool yeah. or wherever people want to go to. Uh, potentially, yes. And And you know this better than I do, but depending on whether it's, and this is something that people do need to be aware of, is furnished holiday let or serviced accommodation. They are two subtly different things. They are two sides of a coin, if you will, about renting out to individuals over a short period of time, but one has slightly different rules to the other. So in a nutshell, what you're saying is this is like a hotel or a bed and breakfast as opposed to being a short whole tenancy. Absolutely, yeah. So offering services like, you know, breakfast, you know, um, and... Yeah, you know, use of a hot tub, for example, just picking th- something yeah, out from a pool or swim pool or barbecue facilities or a crash or something else yes. that you might have. But if somebody, somebody hasn't got any of those and they've just got rooms that they want to rent out, does service accommodation work for that? Furnished holiday let. Okay. Um, and I'm not going to go into the rules of that. That's, again, part of your own due diligence. But in short, people, you know, holiday makers will go for a short period of time, you know, Five, maybe two weeks, maybe a week, just to get away, have fun, do what it is they want to do on holiday, enjoy themselves. Mm-hmm. And as long as you keep that going from, and in certain areas, you can keep that going year round. In other areas, it's seasonal. So that's something that you need to look into. So how is service accommodation different to an HMO, for example? So gem- generally, you will rent your room out to to individuals on a case-by-case basis. 
And how do you rent them out? Do you, do you put a big board outside? Um, do they have a website or how does it work? You can go on um, booking.com booking .com and um, places like that. Airbnb. Airbnb to, to, to rent it out. So if you live or have a property within, you know, high um, party areas, you know, then tourism, tourism comes through. Builders, yeah. that, that type of stuff. Okay, um, builders and contractors depends on how long they're staying for. Um, as a as a general rule, it's again something to be aware of. Yep. You don't want them in there too long because then it become stops being service accommodation and, and furnish all. And you might have a problem, uh, an issue with, with VAT because yep. with HMOs and uh, single lets, obviously. There's no VAT because it's exempt, exempt supply. supply. Service accommodation, once you go over £83,000 a year, you've then got to charge VAT, although the price has to be packed inclusive. So that's something people need to be mindful of. Because okay. this is not an investment business, it's a trading business. Treated as a trading business, you're Treated, right. Treated, yeah. And then in terms of HMOs or um, single lets, like we said earlier, with our example of the IFA, if they're a high rate taxpayer, they can't claim all the interest finance costs. Okay, so yep. they can claim half of them or they get it through a tax credit without going too technical. Too technical. With service accommodation, can they claim all the interest costs? Or is that something that you need me to talk about? That's, that's, that's something that you are more, more, more experienced with okay. than I am. So if people have a service accommodation business or they meet the rules of a furnished holiday let, uh, they can, then they claim all the interest costs, uh, which is a good addition, by the way, uh, because obviously you can't do that with, as a higher rate taxpayer. Uh, in a single let or an HMO. Now, of course, if you have a limited company, then Section 24, okay, uh, finance costs aren't affected, so you're okay. But this is just if your property in your own name, you're affected by Section 24. And by own name, I mean you as an individual or by two or more of you own a property either jointly or as a partnership. Uh, so that's what people need to be aware of because that means you've got to pay extra tax if Section 24 affects you, so, so you need to be mindful of that. Absolutely. The other benefit of overseas service accommodation, you know, is cash flow is better. Yep. If you've got it in the right area, because you're charging by the room now, so using the earlier example, where you've got a house where you're charging £1,000 a month. If it's an HMO, let's use your example, you might be saying £2,000, because you've got four rooms, you're charging £500 per room, for example. Yep. And with service accommodation, you can charge, let's say, £100 a night. If you've got three or four bedrooms there, you're charged £400 per night. Now, it's not going to be 100% occupancy. It usually isn't unless you're in a very, very, very popular area at a very, very popular seasonal time. But let's just say it's not going to happen. But the numbers soon add up as long as you've got the right property in the, the right, right area. With the right, the right marketing. Market. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So you've got that. Then if somebody wants to make pension payments... Uh, then they can make that the the income that is generated from an FHL or SA service accommodation qualifies for pension payments. So they've got that on top. Then you've got capital allowances, allowances. that they can claim, which is basically is the money that they spend on the refurb or if they bought the property, any capital equipment in there, plant and machinery, could qualify for capital allowances. That's going to have to significantly reduce their taxes Tax going, forward, going forward, which again can be pretty much a game changer. And then with oh, a huge game changer, and at some point we'll go through through that again, absolutely, in the future. In the future. And then, of course, with service accommodation, you've got two options: you can either be hands-on and do it yourself, or you can give it to an agent. We'll charge you. Some may charge you ten percent, some twelve, fifteen, eighteen percent to manage that property for you. And then, obviously, you've got items like you've got to change 
the bed linen, bed linen regularly, regularly, the cleaning and all that kind of stuff because you've got new people coming in they want their bed made and everything available. So, so there are added costs to it rather than your standard buy to let someone moves in then but, they're responsible for cleaning it. Yeah. You know, with a serviced accommodation, you are more responsible in that sense. So there is the, yeah. that added cost. But as you say, the added cash flow offsets that massively. Thanks for listening to Wealth Made Simple. You can follow and contact Shaz on the Facebook pages Entrust Property Tax and The Profits Wizard. You can also find Shaz on LinkedIn, YouTube and Instagram. Alternatively, email him at shaz at aa-accountants.co.uk. Build your wealth by mastering money.